You know, uh, one of the gifts that I have at, at this time in my life is I've been afforded an incredible gift of time and time to ponder things that uh, because my life isn't on constant output all the time, I, I get to ponder things. Um, and with a mind like mine, that's not necessarily safe. Um, I'll give you, for instance, I, I've been pondering this one for about uh, a month now. Um, and uh, it, it's this. Why is it that when an Irishman just cuts loose with a string of profanity in English, he concludes it by saying, excuse my French? You thought it was going to be something spiritual, didn't you? I mean, I've been just pondering that. I mean, why, why the big diss on the French? Right? I mean, and that, that provoked me to ponder another question, which was, if a Frenchman cuts loose with a string of profanity in French, does he conclude it by saying, excuse my English? Like I said, it's dangerous for my mind to ponder things for any great length of time. I don't really quite know the answer to those questions, but I think about things like that. And actually, I think about you, you people are just a little too uptight because, like I said, you're not used to me. And so, um, I've been pondering this question a little bit, and that's why it's going to be risky because I try, I'm going to try to take us today on a journey. And it's a rather long journey, and I have a short time to do it in. And, uh, but I want us to get somewhere. And I thought this was relatively, relatively safe, even though it's risky, because it's the 30th of June in the state of Maine. And um, the only people who will go to church on the 30th of June in the state of Maine are going to be pretty serious about church going. Because the truth is, a lot of people don't go to church on the 30th of June because even God takes the summer off. Hallelujah. Not really, but here we are. And so I think this is a, a safe risk, if you will, and that is to really wrestle with this question of what are we doing here? I don't mean in terms of the universe. I'm talking about what are we doing here today? What, 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 what's our purpose for being here? And I'm going to tell you why that is an important ingredient because, and, and this is true of every business, organization, church, church family, what whatever gathering of people it is, that every, every, every group of people that is together for any length of time is subject to drift. So they just start doing stuff, but they lose sight of why they do it in the first place. Does that make sense to you? You know, and so what happens is over time, and, and it sometimes takes a generation, sometimes two, uh, maybe three, but sometimes not that long at all, that you arrive at a place, and if you're the newcomer with inside that circle, with inside that group, you're observing all of this stuff, and you're, you, you start asking questions. Now, I ask those questions, and not everybody does. I, I say, why, why do we do that? What, and, and what happens is when and anything has drifted, that could include, like I said, your business or an organization, whatever it is, it, the, the predominant answer becomes, well, that's just the way we do it here. You've probably never heard that. Some of you have even said that. So that there is this doing without understanding. And I think that, by the way, the subtitle of this message was going to be uh, the first church of assumption. Because here's the problem. And by, by the way, listen, this is, I'm not, this is not being critical. This is just observations of, of, of reality. And that is that a lot of times people like myself who stand up in front of people like you, worship teams, whatever, we, we all, we just assume that everybody's all on the same page out here of, in terms of understanding. And I've got, I'm going to tell you what, in any gathering this morning, it's the same, doesn't matter where I go in the world, it's always true. And that is this, there are always three groups of people here. There's all, there are people who really understand what's going on and why it's going on. And they participate in it with that understanding. Then there's a group of people that they don't really understand it, but they've just figured that's the way you fit in, and so they do it. And so they're participating, but it's just the task. They don't really know why. You know, in this church, they raise their hands, or they don't wear neckties, or, and so therefore I don't wear neckties in this church. I don't know why they don't wear neckties in this church, but that's the way it is, and so that's what I don't do. And then there's a third group of people, which is a lot bigger than we realize. 
if you're a person like me. And that is that there's a whole group of people that they have no understanding of why we do anything that we do. And they, they can't engage in it. They don't engage in it. Now, I, this is not a criticism that no one group is better than the other because here's what you need to understand that I want you to grasp for me. I've been in all three groups as a Christian. Okay? And, uh, you know, I was... I, 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 it's, I hesitate to say that I was raised because I really wasn't. I, I'm, I was kind of a semi-feral child. Um, I, I, I grew older and had to shave, but I didn't really have anybody to grow me up, and I didn't grow up around church. And then I met Jesus. I met Jesus in a divine encounter, and I thought that was the normal thing. That's what Christians do. They meet Jesus. And, and then I went to church, and that's where my whole life got weird because I was the person who had no understanding of why they did anything that they did. I'd not been in church. The closest I came was a friend of mine who tried to drag me to catechism when I was seven years old. And when we got outside the Catholic church, and I, I didn't know what Catholic from Protestant, I'm seven for heaven's sakes. And I got outside and I realized that we had to go down in a basement and that was like weirding me out. I'm not going. And that's as close as I got to a church. I just wasn't, I wasn't church. And so I, I came to church and they stood up and I'm going to tell you how much of an outsider I was without any understanding. They said, we're, now we're going we're to collect our tithes and offerings. And I looked around and every man in the place except me had a necktie on. And I thought, that's kind of a weird custom. They're going to take your necktie. I didn't know what it was. I mean, we're going to take our tithes and offerings. I thought it was ties. I didn't know what it was. I, listen, this, this is my life. I didn't know what they were talking about. I thought, and then nobody took their necktie off. And I thought, I do not understand this. You know, I was, in, I, was in the, I, was in, I was a Christian in church for two years before I even knew, oh, they're not talking about neckties. I mean, I mean, when I say that I didn't have understanding, I'm giving you the depths of these are my beginnings. I mean, that was just the shallow stuff. It was just strange. And so I would ask questions. And, uh, and I met Derry Lynn shortly after I became a Christian, and I nearly drove she and her family insane. I don't even know why they let me marry her. Because I was just, I was, every time I was in church, I'd go, why do they do that? And she was always going, shh. It's just what we do here. And then I realized, and, and we've been married for 40 years, so I can get away with it. She didn't know why we were doing it either. We just do it that way here. And, and it's, it is not because anybody is doing something inherently wrong. It's just the process of how things work. And so we need to be constantly um, refreshed, if you will, in our understanding of why we do anything so that people with understanding can enter in. And so I'm going to try to take us on that long journey, and I don't know if I'm going to succeed or fail, but bear with me because I've had some time to think about it. And I've pondered this for a bit. And I'm, I'm going to start with two big foundational truths. They're just kind of bedrock foundational truths. And I don't call them values. I don't call them principles. And I'll tell you why. Because we're living in a culture of relativism. And what happens in relativism is this, that principles or values are relative to me. Individualism. In other words, I can have a set of values, and you can have a set of values, and you can kind of live by your values, and I can live by my values, and we can both be right because values are relative to who we are. And so we start applying that all over the body of Christ, and then it's become you can worship the Jesus that you think is the real Jesus, and I'll worship the Jesus. And here's, I'm going to talk about truth. Here's truth. Truth is gravity. It's not real because you believe it. It's real because it is. I don't know if you say, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you how. If we both go up here on the roof, whether you believe in gravity or not, if we both jump, we both hit at the same time. And it's going to hurt wicked bad. Has nothing to do with whether you believe in it. It just is. Okay? See, there are, there are truths that just are. They're not based upon our belief, but they become activated when we embrace them. But they're still true, whether we accept them or not. And I'm going to give you two bedrock truths about why we do what we do. Why are we here? And the first one is rooted all the way back into the Old Testament, and it's this big idea called the Sabbath. The Sabbath. I want you to open your Bible with me. If you have a Bible, if you don't, we'll put it up here on the screen. And, I, and I'm going to point out something, and I have to move very quickly. 
So this is a nine-part series in one sermon. So my apologies. I'm going to try to do my best. What is the Sabbath? And what is it all about? There was this moment, Mark chapter 2, in the life of Jesus. And Jesus was the grand disruptor, as Jamie's already told us. Thank you for that. I appreciate that reality. That Jesus is just the disruptor of my days. I've been trying to get stuff out, and now she just told me I've got to leave it there. Hallelujah. It was a good word, though. It was the right word. Verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Oh, may God forbid. Going through grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples, those pesky little followers, began to pluck heads of grain. Can you imagine? You're walking through a grain field, and they just start plucking grain. <gasps> God forbid. And the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees get a bad rap. They were very sincere. They really, really wanted to honor God. They were just a little messed up because they thought that the way to honor God was to live under a whole lot of rules. So by the time you come to Jesus, from the Old Testament of Moses until the time of Jesus, I just think about that for a moment, they had managed to reduce the Ten Commandments to 639 laws, rules, and regulations. I'm not kidding. It's actually in the Torah and the Midrash. It's, 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 they had to interpret what the word like rest meant. You shall, uh, on the seventh day, you shall rest. So what, does, what, does, what did God mean by rest? And they determined, this is, the, this is really there, that um, rest meant that you could not be more than 200 yards, approximately, it's within their measurements, but in our measurements, it would be about 200 yards from your personal property. If you journeyed further than 200 yards from your personal property, you were no longer resting, you were working. Well, Jew, Jewish people are very, very industrious. So they figured out all the, that all I had to do was leave my stuff every 200 yards wherever I wanted to go on the Sabbath. And thus, I was never working. And so then they'd have to come up with laws to compensate for the fact that they've found the, the loophole around this law. Sounds a little bit like our government. But anyway, not going there today. And so... But they really wanted to honor God, but they tried to honor God by, by external rule and regulations, just changing or conformity of behavior. And so Jesus is the grand disruptor in that. And so here are these Jesus and this ragtag bunch that follow him around, and they're plucking grain on the Sabbath, and they get highly offended, and they say, look, why do they do what is not lawful? On a, they're, they're, that, that's work. And Jesus said, silly Pharisees, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest. He ate the holy bread, the showbread. He didn't plug grain. He went in and took God's bread. You'll get that by Tuesday or Wednesday. And it's not lawful to eat except for the priest. And he gave it to those who were with him. Now, this is, the, this, is, this is the tipping point, and I really want you to see this, because most of us just zoom over. That's a bad word in my life right now. We just pass over verse 27. We've never paused on it as to what it means. And he said to them, it's in red, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. Now, what was Jesus talking about there? And I've got to give this to you very quickly. So I'm going to give you a little Sunday school lesson. How many days was creation? Really? How many, say it again. How many days was creation? Six days. On what day was man made? 34 years of my life, I can't get three people to know when, when, when a man was made. How long must I put up with these, oh, Lord? Can anybody? How many? On what day? On the sixth day. On Friday. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't Friday the 13th. All right. On the sixth day, God created man. All right. So day six. What was day seven? The day of rest. Now, why did God need a day of rest? He wasn't tired. Okay. Now, I want you to think about this. Because this is, I know this is complicated for the 30th of June, but it's just a little bit of math. Don't worry. Don't worry, little buckaroo. I'll get through it. I promise you. Then we'll be able to go home. 
If man was created on the sixth day, what was his first day on planet Earth? What? Really? Have you, doesn't that just mess with your brain just a little bit? The first thing, the first day that Adam had, the first day that he had was a day of rest and he hadn't even done anything because he wasn't here. I know that's too logical for some of you who are very spiritually minded, but uh, there's a point to what I'm saying. By the time we arrive at the time of Jesus, the day, the first day, and there's, a, there's value to the first day. There's a reason that Adam's first, first day was the day of rest. There's divine purpose behind it. But it, they'd lost sight of it, so now it's the seventh day. And I find it very fascinating that Jesus, who came to restore all things as they were supposed to be, was raised from the dead on what day of the week? <laughs> Sunday. Easter. <laughs> I know, this is way above our pay grade for the 30th of June, isn't it? On what day? Let me help you again. On what day of the week was Jesus raised? Say it, say it out loud. The first day, and the shift took place so that on the first day, the gathering of God's people comes together. Why? Because the reality of the Sabbath is to put in place a routine and a regimen to recenter us into this reality, which runs all the way through the Scripture, that the first of everything belongs to God. The firstborn, the first tenth, the first of all of the fruit of your labor, the first of your fields, the first of your flocks, the first of all of your increase, the first of all things. It is there particularly to center us that the first of everything. And I, I'm very sympathetic to those who want to lean us toward messianic Christianity and get us to worship on Saturday, but that issue was dealt with in Acts chapter 15. I don't have time to debate the issue. But what are we to do with this first day? We are to what? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, here's where we go off the rails because we don't know what the word holiness means. Most of us think when we said the word holy that it means pure. That's why most of us opt out of the whole idea of being a holy individual because we just know we're not pure. Come on, confession is good for the soul. Just deal with it. Right? It's like holiness, not purity, because we equate holiness with purity. And it's like, I know I'm not that pure, so this is just like pie-in-the-sky stuff. That's because we don't know what the word holiness means. The word holiness does not mean pure. The Greek word for holiness is the word hagios, and the only reason I know that is I endured two miserable years of new classic New Testament Greek where I had to sing hymns at 8.05 every morning in Greek. It was, well, it was, uh, listen, it, uh, I almost became a Catholic and believed in purgatory. I'm telling you right now, two years of singing hymns in Greek, and one of the hymns that our professor, God rest his soul, if he's in heaven, he can have his own little Greek corner. I ain't doing it. I hope, Jesus. He loved to sing the hymn, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Well, I had to sing it in Greek, hagios, hagios, hagios. It's a beautiful word. As a matter of fact, that's when Paul writes to the church and he writes to everyday ordinary people like you. He says to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the saints who are in Colossae, he's really saying to the hagiosmoi. Sounds like a bacterial disease, but what it really means is to the holy ones. Because what holiness really is, it means to be set apart for a purpose, to be distinct. It doesn't mean purity. It means to have something that is set aside, that is particular and purposeful. You see, you, you and I do it with fund balances. You know, I, I don't know if you do this in your budgeting, but we, we, I have a personal thing where I, I put money into what I call my gift fund. It's not money that I get to go play with except to buy stuff for other people and to give it away. You see, what I've just done is I've declared that to be distinct, different, set aside 
for a purposeful use that can't be used for anything else. And so when the Bible says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, it's not saying keep it pure. That's where the Pharisees got off track. What he was really saying is, make it a day that is different to recenter you on what this is really all about, which is he is the first. We come on the first day to declare that God is worthy of the first things of all of our life because he is the firstborn of overall creation. Okay, so that's too deep for you. I'll move on to the second part. And this is the second foundational truth. And you say, this is going to take until Thursday at this pace. It might, but I'm going to try to buzz through it very quickly because this is important. This is, I'm, I, 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 you need to get this. Number two, foundational reality is that you and I live in the age of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't mean, I, now, now, I'm, before you freak out, just, 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 just relax. We've been in the age of the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years. Not, not 25 years or 30 years or 50 years or 100 years, you know. It, it, listen, for 2,000 years, and I want to take you down through, because this, by the way, this is where my juices start to flow. So if I get a little impassioned, I might zoom. I want you to go to the Gospel of John with me because, because this has got to get anchored in us. And I'm, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to hold on to this. <laughs> so I won't try to zoom. John chapter 15. We, I just want to lay this out to you because... We read it, but I just want it to really get into us. Jesus, in John 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's a simple formula. How do I know if I love Jesus? I keep his word. You see, that's not kind of restrictive. Not really. I, I, I love my wife. I gave her my word. She gave her, gave to me her word. Then my word was that I would be faithful to her. So if, if, if I said, said to you all the time, oh, you know, I really, really love my wife, but I was, I was, you know, loving 50 other women, you probably wouldn't believe me. I'm not. You say, how, how can you prove it? I'm still alive because I'm married to a redhead. You know, divorce has never come up in our house. Murder several times. <laughs> but we're committed to one another in the love of Jesus. You see, loving is measured by faithfulness to our commitments. So Jesus just lays it out there. But that's not the big thing. Watch this. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. It's the Greek word parakletos. There's a terrible translation that we've got a hangover from that came from the 70s, and he will give you another comforter as though what you really need is somebody to hug you. That is not what it means. The word parakletos means one who is strong but comes along beside you and brings his strength into you. See, I told you I'm like Vince Lombardi. I'm not smooth. Because most of us don't need another hug. We need someone to pick us up when life is wearing us down and square our shoulders off and say, through Jesus Christ, I can do all things, all things, even this thing who strengthens me. He'll come. But this is the, this is the kicker. He won't just come and show up once in a while for you. He will come and he will you're not used to me. Abide. What does that mean? Dwell. Hang out with. Move in with you. Not just once in a while. But he will live with you forever. Oh, it gets better. Keep on going. How do you know him? He's the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be where? In you. Oh, it gets better. Let's move on. Verse 26 of the same chapter. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things, bring to you remembrance, all things that I've said to you. 
Moving into chapter 15. Come on along with me. Verse 26. And when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Verse 16. Chapter 16. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine, and he will declare it to you. I just, I'm going to get this out because you know what? Listen, I got, I got nothing to lose, and I'm over 60. It's okay. Listen, I do not understand why charismatic and Pentecostal people, and I am a charismatic. I believe in being filled with the Spirit. I pray in tongues. I'm not ashamed of it. I think it's the normal Christian life. I think every Christian should pursue it. But, you get, but I want to help you to understand something. The primary purpose of the fullness of the Holy Spirit isn't so you can get goosebumps and pray in tongues. It's the primary purpose is laid out for us right here by Jesus. He said, there's the reason you need to pursue this. It's because he will come and he will live in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will live on the inside of you. And when he comes, what will happen is that the idea of Jesus won't be a hoped for theory. He'll become real to you. He'll testify that I am real and that I'm yours and you are mine. And I, guess what? And all he'll do is glorify me. That just means make real. See, our word for guardian of glorify is goosebumps. That's not what it means. The word, it, it's, it's, it comes from a Hebrew word, kabod. It means reality or substance. So when he says that he will glorify Jesus, what he's saying is that Jesus will become as real as the person sitting beside you, to you, and in you from that moment on. That's the reason. And Jesus instituted this from the beginning. And he said, listen, when he comes, he's going to do things. He's going to teach you stuff. He's going to unveil things to you. He's going to show you things to come. You're going to know that it's him because he's going to make, make me real to you. And you can take confidence in that. And here's the real question. Am I describing your life? Let's just get down to reality. You say, that's kind of abrupt. I told you, Vince Lombardi. You see, I'm too old to play the church game. I have no interest in playing a church game. I just want to know, is, is Jesus that real to you? Because he's supposed to be. Now you put those two things together. I'm going to tell you the way it's supposed to be working. Here's what you need to do. Right beside, beside that top one, which is the Sabbath, write this. I need this. Remember what Jesus said. The Sabbath was made for you. What that tells us is we need it. See, that's like I said, it's just truth. It doesn't, it's like gravity. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. You need it. You need a distinctive place that's set apart to reestablish that God is worthy of the first of everything, including your time. But number two, the good news is you don't have to get together and just hope it can happen. If you, if you don't get anything out of this, just right beside number two, and that, that is this. I am designed to be a carrier. I'm designed to be a carrier. A carrier of what? His presence. I'm going to freak you out now. I'm glad we got that foundation laid because now I'll tell you what I'm really jazzed up about. What would happen if we just believed that? If we just stopped getting a whole lot of information jammed down our throats. See, we're knowledge-based in our society. We think if we, people just know more, they'll be better. No, they'll just be more informed in their badness. I just gave you the book of Romans. I'm serious. That's why Paul said, he says, listen, before I read the law, I was fine. I was having a good time, right? And then I read this stuff, and holy moly, I'm sinning all over the place. Now I'm just a miserable, knowledgeable individual, which is a lot of church people. But I'm supposed to come and just be miserable. Watch this, watch this. What if we just focused in on this reality? What if, what if, see, here's what we do. And this goes into, there's four words that I'm going to give you. I'm going to go through them just like that and get to the end, I promise. You say, why is this, why does this matter? Because I found 
that most of us have real, no real idea why we're going to church. But what would happen if we just put those pieces together and said, I'm a carrier of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And on this day that I have set apart, where I recenter and reorient that God is worthy of the first of everything in my life, I'm going to carry his presence into the house of God. And what if you did it, and 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 we'd begin to live out that reality. Then we would stop having to, see, I've, I've, listen, I know this is going to sound like a criticism. It's not, but it's just, it's kind of strange to me now. I'm going to tell you, we, we, there are a lot of songs that, and, and a lot of preachers, and I've been one, so I can criticize me. We've conveyed the idea to you is that we've got to come together, and we've got to work real hard or sing the right song to get him who's up there to come down here into our miserable existence and do something at least once or twice in our lifetime. Ah, I know that's too close to the truth, but we say, say, come, come, come. You don't need to ask him to come. He's here because you're a carrier of him. You brought him with you. Guess what? He went in the shower with you this morning. Hallelujah. And he's very grateful that you did. You say, how far are you going to go with this? That's as far as I'm going. Don't worry. But what if we began to live out this reality that he is in me, he abides with me. And I'm a carrier of his presence. And when I come into the house because I am a devoted follower of Jesus, I'm here to help just let the river of life flow out of me. I mean, then collectively, as, 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 as a group, as we have come here to designate a season, a moment, where we are declaring together corporately that he is the first of everything. And we do it together all of a sudden. You say, what do you mean all of a sudden? There's the four words that I'm going to give you, and I don't have time to amplify it, but here it is. Expectation, manifestation, revelation, and transformation. Here's what I've discovered. God doesn't just meet me in my points of desperation. He often unveils himself at my point of expectation. What did I just say? That if I'm looking for him, I usually see him. If I'm really not expecting him and looking for him, I often miss him. I'm not too proud to tell you I've had many moments where I've been going by myself home from a meeting, whether here or somewhere else, and I'll hear the voice of the Lord whisper to me, you missed me this morning because you weren't looking for me. You are just trying to go through church. That's not a good day if you're the pastor. I just want you to know that. That makes for a really long week. Expectation. You see, and an expectation is kind of built into the New Testament. It, 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 I, I'll show it to you real quick in, in one of the funkiest portions of Scripture that I guarantee you've never heard a sermon on. First Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying, you know, you guys are a mess. Now he, and, and, and you say, he would do that? Yeah, well, if you've never read it, you wouldn't know. He said, you guys are a mess. He said, you've got this guy who's a member of your church. He's hanging out in church. That's why I guarantee you've never heard a message on it. He's in your church, and, um, and here's the problem. He's sleeping with his stepmother, and you guys seem to be okay with it. And Paul says, I'm not okay with it. I told you you've never heard a sermon about this. So here's what you're going to do. You know where I stand on this, that... This guy is unrepentant, so you got to deal with him. So when you get together, when you come together, and you know that I'm with you in spirit because I'm telling you what my, my judgment is on this, so you know where I am. But when you come together, and look at this last phrase in 1 Corinthians 5, 4, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. What does that mean? You see... Ah, here's what I want you to grasp. Paul is writing to a group of people, and we do this when we, we write letters to people. He's writing, and he's writing to them and conveying an idea that they know exactly what he's talking about. All right? So, if, like, if I write an email to my son and I'm overseas, and I say, check my boiler twice a day. Very few of you have any idea what I just said or why I said it. 
But because he has understanding, experientially, he knows exactly what I mean. You get it? So when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, no, look, when you get together, you know what I've, I've weighed in on the issue with you, because I've just written it to you, and when the power of the Lord Jesus is present, and everybody who is there in that Corinthian church goes, oh, we know exactly what Paul's talking about. That's expectation. Because that was their expectation of what happened when they gathered. Get it? It's what, it's what John says in, John, in, in Revelation, John 1, verse 10. He says, I, John, was on the Isle of Patmos in tribulation and trial for the Lord Jesus. He says, and there I was on the Lord's day, and I was in the Spirit. What a novel idea. And he's not talking about some ecstatic condition. He's saying, I just, I'm, I'm in alignment with what the Spirit of God is speaking to me, and and work is communing together, and then out of that, you see, and that's where the word manifestation comes. The word manifest is not some weird charismatic word. It means to bring clearly into focus and to be conspicuously obvious. It's, it's like, it's not like some, some uh, you know, magic, you know, we think of manifestation as gold dust, which is weird. But Paul's saying, the word manifest means that, that it, it's that Jesus makes himself known in such a way that, it, that he goes, hell, I'm here. And you go, yep, you are. That was the normative pattern of behavior and expectation of the New Testament. They gathered because, not because they had to go to church on Sunday. See, 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 we have this idea that, that you know, church on Sunday and, and Sabbath, well, that's all for God, and it's God's because, because you know, it, well, God obviously knew that, you know what, we needed something to do on, on that day because when we don't have enough to do, we get into a lot of trouble, and that makes a long week for God. So, man, I've got to give them something to do. So give them something religious to do and keep them occupied for a long time. That's kind of, you know, a, a way that people approach it. That's not it at all. Our purpose of gathering is to have an expectation that His presence will be unpacked and made manifest, and it'll be so obvious and conspicuously clear that it's Him, and everybody knows it. You say, why is that important? Because that's what brings revelation, because ultimately Christianity is not an academic exercise. You don't talk people into Christianity. It's a revealed faith. Real Christianity is that Jesus unpacks Himself to people. Are you following me? It, it's not based on knowledge. Some of you, Jesus unpacked himself. You didn't know nothing. Right? Come on. It's, like, it's, not, it's not information based. He unveils himself. It's revelation. And I'm going to tell you this for some of you who are seasoned saints. I guarantee you that if you are practical enough to actually admit to this, that every major change, transformational moment in your journey wasn't because you learned something, but because the lights went on. Right? All of a sudden, the pieces connected. You had an aha moment. It clicked. You went, ow! That's what he's talking about. Right? It wasn't you had an academic class. It was like, huh. It's called Revelation. Because revelation is what leads to transformation, not information. It's revelation that leads to transformation. What are you talking about? That's why Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and we, will be, we, we shall behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And, and, and as we see him, we shall be changed, transformed to be like him from glory to glory. That's what's supposed to be happening. You see, I'm going to bring it down to one great big thing, which is, which is Jacob, and then I'm going to do something really risky, and it's okay. It's okay. You see, here's what I think the goal is. There's this story in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to tell you, just tell you this. This guy's a sleazebag. You know, we, we sometimes make these people in the... In, in the Bible, like really great people. He's a sleazebag. He's a little snotty-nosed mama's boy. 
He lied. He cheated. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. He lied all of his way through. He lied to his future father-in-law. He lied to his future wife. He lied to his second wife. I mean, this guy's a mess. His name is Jacob. He's a sleazeball. Yes, yeah, just read him. I mean, he's not a good guy. He'd cheat you out of anything. He has this moment where he's running from his, 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 he's running from his brother because he, he stole his brother's uh, inheritance, uh, deceived his old blind father, and stole his inheritance. And his brother Esau, Esau, Esau is the kind of, when Esau says, I'm going to kill you, run. He's not playing games. I had an older brother like that, by the way. If, if he said, yeah, it's going to happen. And um, so he's running for his life, and he has this moment where he's out, and he falls asleep, and he has this moment where the presence of God is made manifest in his life. He sees the stairway of heaven. I'm not talking about the song. <laughs> See? <laughs> and uh, when he wakes up, he has this incredible moment. Now, now, why do I say that? Because he's been a sleazeball his whole life. He's not really been an, an honest pursuer of God. But he has this moment where God unpacks his reality to him. And here's, here's his conclusion. This is what he says. He says, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And then it moves on. And he was afraid he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. I think that's the goal. You see, New Life Church, I want you to get this. If people walk out, in, out of here and they say, what a fantastic facility. That's great. What do they, they go, oh, the music was wonderful. That's great. That's fine. The preaching, that preacher was outstanding. Yes, he was. Long-winded, but he's outstanding. Yes, yes. I heard that. If that's their conclusion, we missed it. I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough on the earth. I don't want people walking out being how impressed we are with us. But if people start walking out of this place or any church anywhere in the world and think, hey, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. He lives there. He's among those people. When they will realize that God is awesome, we succeed. Did you get it? That should be our passion on the Sabbath. I'm going to ask you to stand up and give me just a few more minutes, and I'm not going to talk. But I've got to set this up. So, Derry Lynn and I, um, you know, uh, we're, we're still trying to figure out this whole season of our life. So, uh, this week, as we were trying to figure some of that out, we were just sitting around watching videos on YouTube. And... Uh, because we don't know what else to do sometimes. You know, it's like, I guess we'll just watch a video on YouTube. And so we did. And so she, we started watching these. And um, she pulled this video up. And as soon as it came up, I, saw, I thought to myself, I'm not watching this thing. I'll tell you how great a guy I am. I'm not watching this thing. Because everything about it, the, the, the first flash of it, was um, it's, it's, it's just not my culture. It's not the culture of New Life Church. Doesn't fit. The videography is not very good. The lighting's poor. Um, some, of the, some of the singers are a little, they're not professional. There was, there, there was some moments. It's like this, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't practice this to put out a, a great music video. Because the voices were not, they're not professional voices. And when I say that it's countercultural, this, this is a group of Pentecostal holiness people. I mean, they are ultra-conservative. All the women wear dresses. None of them wear makeup, and some of them should. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Second service, I'm starting to lose my filters. And, uh, 
No, the house needs paint, baby. Paint it. Uh, get all have their hair pulled back. It, it, the funny part is they've got a female drummer. I've never seen a woman with her hair pulled back with no makeup on playing a set of drums. This is a phenomenon to me. All the men, I mean, they all have the same haircut. They don't wear neckties so that they can bring their ties and offerings to them. I guess, I don't know. I mean, they're just, I mean, they are straight laced and straight laced. And at my first look, my first, I was like, I'm not watching that thing because that's just countercultural. Uh, I've probably watched it about 25 times because something clicked in there, in my heart. And so this is the risky thing. I'm going to, we're going to end with this. And uh, I want you to enjoy it. Uh, I even want you to participate with it, if you want to. But let the heart of it come into you. Because I'm telling you, if you do, something will shift in you. And it will be the living illustration of what I just talked about. Because even through a video, I wasn't even there live. As a matter of fact, Darlene went out to buy groceries yesterday, and I sat down and I watched it again all by myself, <laughs> fighting, fighting with Jesus. I was fighting. I said, I'm not playing that on Sunday. Jesus, I'm not doing it. So here we are. And I don't play this. I'm not doing this as a condemnation of anything about us. I'm doing this to spur something in you. I want you to understand the motivations of my heart are good. So I want you to take it in the right spirit that I'm bringing, because this motivated me. This, this pulled something up out of me. And I just want you to take the journey with it, because it's the living illustration of what I just declared to you. And it does it way better than I did. So hang on, because it's going to take a, a little time. Okay? But it's going to be okay, because you've got an extra day off this week. It's going to be okay. Come on, ring that up and pull down the house lights a little bit. Make sure I've got enough volume this time, because I'm... Come on, let's just enjoy God. Let's worship Him together. I want you to gather with the people of God on this first day of the week where the first of everything belongs to Him. And you are a carrier of His presence. You're already here. So we worship you. You are here, working in this place, worship you. You are here, moving in our midst, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Hang on. You're God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker. Someone needs that this morning. My God, that is who you are. You need to, to declare with them. Every heart, I worship you. Come on, Jesus. I worship you. You are here. In every heart, worship you, worship you, 
This morning, Father, in the lips of your people. Come on, everybody. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Miracle worker, promised. Light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Come, Lord, and work miracles. Be the promise keeper. That is who you are. You are. That is who you are. That is who you are. Oh, that is who you are. Who you are. Who you are, who you are, that is who you are, who you are. Who you are. Some of you just need to say this over your own life right now. Waymaker, miracle worker. 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 Don't, don't miss this. And you never stop working. And when I don't see you, you never stop working. When I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even stop, you never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop working. 
Come on, I can't hear you. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Never, never stop working. I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. Never stop. Now, I wanted to stretch you a little bit and remind you, why did that happen? It wasn't the outward substance. It wasn't the, the auditorium or the band or the, their clothes or the videography. It was their heart. Some of you needed that this morning because you don't know why you come here, but I'm here to tell you that we're living in a culture that is only going to be persuaded by the presence of God. And if there's anything that the house of God needs in our day, that we're living in is the presence of God made manifest. He is the great convincer of his own reality. I was with this old African pastor one time, and he just leaned over, and he said, He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He does not need your help. We just need to let him out of the cage. Some of you need to let him out of the cage. Why? I don't understand. Why we are so afraid of the presence of God. We think, well, if people who don't understand come wandering in, what will they think? Maybe they will think, surely the presence of God is in this place, and this is none other than the house of God. And he's real. I want to be part of that. Don't you? I want that to happen every time we gather. Don't you? Let's let him out of the cage. Why do we gather? To let him out of the cage. To let him out of the cage. My Jesus, my Jesus, would it be in our day if we'd let him out of the cage? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every man and woman in this place. And I know in my spirit that somebody really needed to hear and declare that he is the way maker. And even when they cannot feel it, you're working. And when they don't see it yet, you're working. Because you're a miracle worker. That is who you are. Jesus, forgive us when we convey you as something less than that. And Father, maybe we become in an increasing way known as the people of his presence. In Jesus' name. Let's have a great, great rest of the week. And when you leave here, remind yourself you're a carrier. He's going home to your barbecue with you today.
So be on good behavior. <laughs> Amen. We love you all.